The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. We have got a packed pod for you, a full house of Laurie, Andy and Carl and lots on the agenda, including after the Spurs defeat and a wonky win against Wolves, is United start to the season a cause for concern? We'll hope for better as we look ahead to this weekend's game against Forest with a sit-in protest to talk about as well. And we'll bring you right up to date with all the latest transfer news coming out of Old Trafford with just over a week of the window left. But first and foremost, gentlemen, we have to talk about the live shows. My goodness. On Monday, we released our live show dates for Ireland in October. And this was the bit where I was supposed to plug the tickets. But Dublin sold out in 12 hours. Absolutely crazy. Belfast is already going the same way, incredibly, as well. So you can still buy tickets for that. Monday, October the 16th at the Limelight. Search for Talk of the Devils Live on Ticketmaster if you want to get those tickets. Remember, our show in London in September is also sold out, but there are still a few tickets left in Manchester. Go to myticket.co.uk. It's the last few days to purchase tickets for New Century, which is on Monday the 4th of September. Just a handful of those left as well. And I've checked the flights from Dublin. They're only about £25 return, so if you missed out over there, Get yourselves to Manchester. We've even got some special cocktails planned, rather excitedly. We'll put the link in the pod description for the tickets. We'll also post it out on social media on our own accounts as well. But we have been completely blown away by your response to our live shows. Thank you to every single one of you for buying a ticket. We are so excited to bring these shows to you. And Laurie, my head fell off on on Monday when (laughs) Dublin sold out so fast. It's incredible. Thank you. It's brilliant, yeah. I mean, I got a little flavour of it in Dublin for the uh, Bill Bowe friendly. And um, yeah, just the enthusiasm, walking to the stadium, people sort of stopping you saying hello, can I get a selfie? And uh, yeah, so I kind of thought that this might be something that would, would be appealing to people. But yeah, still absolutely blown away by the fact that uh, everyone was snapping up tickets so quickly. And yeah, sorry for those that didn't get a ticket. We We might look and do something in the... New Year. I don't, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but yeah, if you if you can't, then as Ian said, get yourself to Manchester. We've got the cocktails on the go. Absolutely. Uh, Nostradamus Mitten predicted this as well, Andy. You you sort of had a, a finger on the pulse, putting out your little rumours when you're over in Dublin last month or earlier this month. Sorry. Manchester United are huge in Dublin. On huge on the island of Ireland. We've obviously got Belfast as well. And I've been going over there for years and I've seen that support. No loads of people, no season ticket holders from Dublin. Dublin branch do a really good job as well. No people from who drive like two hours to Dublin airport to fly to Old Trafford or to get a, a, a boat to England or Wales to watch Manchester United. The support is incredible. Looking forward to it. And next time we're going to do Croke Park, capacity 80,000. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure no one misses out. Um, Carl, before we get into talking about Manchester United on the pitch, because there's a lot to get our teeth into, certainly after those first two games of the season, we need to clarify um, a story that we were telling on the New Century pod that we recorded last week. Um, can you remember exactly how you described this storyline from Coronation Street? Because it's caused a bit of a stir. Yes, my apologies, listener. This is what happens when you're enjoying cocktails and not having your laptop in front of you where you can fact-check things properly. But our discussion in the Coronation Street 
I said it was Betty's husband who died in a tram crash in Corrie in the 80s or 90s uh, before Andy tried giving me a steer there, only for us to realise that we were completely wrong. The crash didn't happen uh, outside the rover's return whatsoever, but the storyline involved another patron on Coronation Street. It was Rita's husband who died in a tram crash in Blackpool in the eight, in the late 80s. I mean, James was one of the people who pointed it out by emailing in. Thank you to everyone who corrected us. So we got the wrong character, the wrong character's wife. Um, we got the wrong place. We got the wrong decade. Um, and it wasn't a crash. He got run over. So all in all, we did pretty well with that. But <laughs> thank you to every single one of you pointing this out. We know how important, historically, Coronation street storylines have been to Manchester United fans as well. I mean, I mentioned it on, on the last podcast, but there was actually a time where a Coronation Street storyline was revealed on the scoreboard at Old Trafford during a Manchester United against Arsenal game, which from memory read something like Ken won Mike nil because uh, Ken Barlow, who's also quite infamous for Manchester United fans, I've heard a few songs sung about him down the years, uh, had wrestled back... <laughs> Deirdre from Ken, his arch rival. If you've got absolutely no idea what I'm talking about, don't worry. We're about to talk about football. But yeah, a little bit of titillation from the uh, soap opera that's helped make Manchester famous there. <laughs> right, let's get into the football then. Um, we talked about Mason Greenwood on Monday's podcast after Manchester United announced that he would restart his career away from Old Trafford. So if you want to know any more about that situation and our thoughts on it as well. Go back and listen to Monday. Um, but Carl, the result against Spurs has been stewing in our minds now for a few days. Um, you and Laurie have both written about different elements of Manchester United's result. How concerning was it and, and what was wrong in your opinion? Good first half, concerning second half. I think the first half, what was nice was uh, Mason Mount wasn't as far forward and, and helped Casemiro out. So if you're concerned about the, the huge gap in central midfield, that seemed to have been solved a little bit. The front press from United w was a little bit better as well. So United were winning the ball higher up the field and, and manufacturing two or three half-decent chances. I think the concerning thing was in the second half, the moment Saar's goal goes in in the 49th minute, United just seemed completely devoid of idea and invention. And this has been a... Small concern I've been afraid to voice on the podcast for a while, but I don't really see United turning around results anymore. Post, you know, post League Cup final, when they go behind, they do sort of, they take a while to get going. And, and you can see sort of the old bad habits of Manchester United come back when they, when they concede. Away from home in the Premier League, Manchester United have come from behind to win once under Eric Ten Hag. And that was back at the start or near the start of last season away to Everton. I think they've done it in the Europa League as well from memory, maybe once. But it, it's not something that often happens, Laurie, is it? And, and that was the concerning aspect of the Spurs game. It felt like we'd seen that match before last season. It didn't feel any different, did it? No, and that's the one thing that I think Eric Ten Hag ended last season saying that he wanted to fix because... United showed that they could bounce back from bad defeats. Um, you know, when they'd lost 6-3 to City, they had a good run. After the Villa game, they lost 3-1 there, they, they had a good run. Even after the 7-0, I think they responded pretty well. So the next step was to actually try and do that during a game when the tide isn't, you know, um, is against you. Can you actually wrestle it back? And it felt 
certainly in that start of the second half at Tottenham Hotspur that they were just overwhelming United. You know, they were kind of winning the ball and having control in midfield. Basuma and Saar were really good. Madison was picking passes and dribbling with it in dangerous areas. Um, and they were just getting into the box time after time. And they could have scored another before they did eventually get. It was a bit of a, a weird one, wasn't it, the second goal? But you sort of felt on the balance of the second half, it was a, a fair enough reflection, uh, even though United did create some chances. I mean, the Anthony one that hit the post was was okay. But I do think that Carl's right in, in saying that Mount uh, started deeper and, and that, I think, afforded United a bit more protection. Um, he even actually got a bit high in the first half. But one of the a couple, one of the good chances was from when he, um, I think, pressed Pedro Porro and, and got the ball back. Mm. But then also there was there were moments when United's midfield would just run through. I mean, Saar, I think, for one counter-attack, was able to just you know run from his own box into United's pretty much unchallenged. Madison skirted around um, Casemiro and Mount. Bissouma went past Casemiro a couple of times in the second half. That element of it is a bit of a concern, I would say. I mean, but also just the United's attack, really. Um, they actually outscored uh, Spurs in terms of XG. Uh, I, I don't know how much faith you want to put into that, but... About 1.5 of that was that chance for Bruno, wasn't it? Blimey. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how he missed that, a nerd I don't joke know. There. I'm it... sure people got it, but anyway, yeah. <laughs> Went over my head. Did it? Um, 1.5 XG for a chance is obviously impossible because it's like beyond one. And oh, it? I know. I know that. Oh, was, was that the sorry. joke? Oh, sorry. Right. I thought <laughs> I understood that to be the joke. I thought there's like an even better reference of 1.5. I thought maybe yeah. like, yeah. Well, I thought you might like saying something like that's the shape of Bruno's head. You know, if he's got a 50p head. One pound know, 50 head. Yeah. One pound 50 well, head. The, the yeah. pounds <laughs> are a different shape these days. So maybe you're on there something. You go. There you go. And it, it's only two games and actually Manchester United in the first half were half decent. How concerned are you? It's underwhelming. It's disappointing. Feels like the the ship went in to the new season with the sails full of wind and optimism, and that has all gone now. Manchester United expected um, Tottenham to be very different to Wolves. They thought that they would be far more attack minded, far more aggressive, far different to how Wolves had been in April. So there'd be a, a huge change with their new manager. They expected Spurs to be narrow. To press, they knew they'd miss Kane. They thought that Son moving position might actually free up more space around the pitch. And Manchester United felt the key to success against Spurs would be quick turnovers, getting the ball to Bruno, to Rashford, to Anthony, and hitting Spurs with with pace. But even then, there was a, a respect that Spurs are, are much better under the new boss. First off. I think tactically was okay. United should have scored one, two, three. But then there's that lack of control, lack of aggression from too many players. The forwards product was poor at times. And as Carl says, when Manchester United go behind, there's not a reaction. Similarities to the game at Spurs in April, where United were good in the first half, poor in the second. If we're going to talk about individuals, Big name players not coping well in defending big spaces. Casemiro, um, Luke Shaw. I'm concerned about elements of Bruno's game as well. But once United went behind, even me as an optimist did not think they were coming back. I've spoke to Spurs fans who said it was the best atmosphere at their new stadium. So they've really enjoyed that. I suppose the best atmosphere at Old Trafford last year was a game against Spurs as well. But I'm worried. I'm worried about several players. Casemiro struggled. And I felt that collectively as a team, 
the belief, the composure wasn't there once once Manchester United went behind. I accept that it's start of the season still, that Garnacho being a starter is relatively new, that even Rashford playing centrally, you're working in uh, Mainson Mount as well. But it was really disappointing. And it's been a disappointing start to the season. United have three more points than at the same stage last season. Okay, so that's a positive. But United were very poor against Wolves. I think Wolves' result a few days later against Brighton did not reflect well against Manchester United either. And I hope that there is a turnaround from game three, just like there was last year. Do you know what the worst thing is, Andy? We're back in a negative goal difference as well. So you're going to be looking at that league table endlessly now over the next few days. Let's hope you know a win against Forest can take us back to something positive there. Yeah, you like your, your negative um, goal difference stats. Manchester United really should be beating Nottingham Forest uh, at home. United had very good results against um, Forest last season. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk more about that game later on. But I have a sense that if there's one or two players having a bad game, United can carry them. If there's five or six having a bad game, then it becomes and has become a problem. And some of Manchester United's best players from last season, Casemiro, Luke Shaw, have not started this season well. I don't know the reason as to why that is. I hope that changes very quickly. I think Andy's good been really good in identifying that United expected Spurs to play quite narrow. One thing that keeps popping up in interviews is Ten Hag keeps mentioning this term minimum width. It's uh, basically, he wants his wide players, or winning with his concept of wide players or, or players in the front three have to maintain a certain distance to their teammates in order to stretch a back four and whatnot. Ten Hag's mentioned it two or three times. Uh, Ange has mentioned it with Spurs as well. One of the big differences was Spurs played a lot wider in their build-up play with their fullbacks, and that meant United's front three had to stand a lot wider. That meant when Mount was trying to push up and engage, that increased the distance between Mount and Casemiro. And as everyone here has identified, Casemiro hasn't quite looked right. And I'm not going to say two games into the season his legs have gone, but he is not playing with the zip he did at the start You know, in, in November of last season. He's engaging either a fraction too slow or a fraction too early. And there were two or three times where Madison in particular realised that Casemiro was trying to follow him. So uh, Madison went, all right, well, I'm just going to drop really, really deep and create even more space in behind all of United's midfield where Spurs players can just flood the area in front of the back four. So that's concerning. I think a little bit similar to United's opening game against Brighton, Ten Hag may have underestimated how good these new managers are against his Manchester United team. And the second half is a proving telling because he hasn't quite got to the grips with the fact that opposition managers are able to make adjustments on the fly nearly to the level he can make adjustments. Let's sort of zone in on Casemiro a little bit more if we can, Laurie. Obviously, he was a, a late addition uh, to Manchester United's squad for last season. Uh, he joined after the start of the season, but he wasn't someone that Ten Hag threw straight in. Uh, and it felt like he needed a few games to get up to speed. Uh, I remember the Real Sociedad game, which really sticks in my mind, where it looked like Casemiro wasn't wasn't quite fit. There's not really the excuse of changing clubs and, and not having pre-season together and all that sort of stuff this time. What do you make of, of his start? Is it purely his fault? I mean, Carl has emailed in asking, what's the solution to the midfield hole in our new tactical setup? A lot of people are recognising there's an issue 
Yeah, I don't think it's all Casemiro, I have to say. I know that there's probably some startling um, passages of play where there's like a short of sharpness um, and maybe just at that speed of thought. But I, I don't think it's purely him because um, I, don't know, I, I thought against Wolves that he was actually the one making the kind of passes that would get United on the front foot from deep midfield. Clearly, yeah, Mount was shifted to operate next to him against Spurs. But even so, I think his natural game, Mount, is to try and push on and win the ball higher. So, you know, he had that kind of dual um, responsibility, I suppose. And I mean, Mount, for example, I'm not trying to get on his case either, but, you know, he only touched the ball 26 times in 84 minutes, which was um, the only player less than him was Garnacho that started the game for United. And that was 23 touches and that was in 66 minutes. So for, for a midfielder to be that involved, something's not quite right there. Is it in the balance or the kind of instructions that are going out? Because by contrast, Spurs' midfield, they were all touching the ball a lot more. But then again, Mount was getting on the ball and uh, when he did get on the ball, so there was like three times when United had a shot that, that came from one of his sort of um, impacts. But I don't know, it just doesn't seem quite... That, that balance between Casemiro, Mount, Fernandez doesn't seem quite right. And I mean, Mount's injury... I don't know if that will then... I mean, clearly he won't play against Nottingham Forest. Um, they're looking at after the international break, I think, for a potential return. Yeah, Casemiro last year, he, he didn't get into the team because Scott McTominay started the season well. And Casemiro's first 90 minutes came against Everton away when he was fantastic. And from that performance, the first team spot was his. United didn't change the team from Wolves. I was a little bit surprised with that. I was told that midweek in a behind-closed-doors game against Everton that Scott McTominay was head and shoulders above everybody else on the pitch. So I wondered whether that would be a change. But I understand that Ten Hag's gone with with his favoured 11 at the start of the season and maybe it would be unfair to judge a player having played poorly against Wolves. I noted last week that Jamie Carragher did quite a critical piece about Casemiro, which I thought was unfair, judging him after one game. And I thought it had echoes of him going for Lissandro Martinez after Brentford last season and subsequently being proved wrong. I do actually respect Jamie's opinion. And on Sunday morning, I got a message on my phone. Casemiro, six. And it didn't come up with a number. And I just thought, who is this? He went, Cara. So he's obviously changed his number and he's obviously reading my match ratings and he's obviously disputing my six, which which is fair enough. <laughs> Did he think it was too high? Yeah, he thinks it's too high. And I don't think Casemiro had a good game. It's how you interpret a six, isn't it? If you're an Italian paper, then six is a world-class performance, but I'm not an Italian paper. I'm from <laughs> Ermston and six for me ain't playing great. Bang average, isn't it? I don't think Casemiro has had a, a, a good start to the season. I will be watching him very closely in the games which are coming up. I don't think it's just on him. Uh, I think there's an integration issue uh, with that midfield. I think midfield is a problem. We saw that in the first game, Wolves just bypassing United time after time. Uh, please, I would like to see the Casemiro of last season who looked so physically dominant as well. And we've not seen that so far this season. Carl, you've written a piece um, looking at Manchester United's pre-season. There's some quite stark comments in there from Christian Eriksen about how the travelling affected United and how that they're only really sort of getting up to speed now. Do you think that 
the team are not quite as as fit as they they could be because of the way preseason's gone is is that a contributing factor in your opinion it might be this is my it's my leading theory as to why united have been so undercooked in these first two games i thought in the second half they looked weary heavy you know fraction slow however you want to call it and you know i did think back to our podcast after the dortmund game in particular where I believe you you mentioned should we be worried that United aren't winning enough, haven't won enough games in this preseason? Uh, I sort of look through things, and Christian Eriksen, after the Dortmund game, said it had been a lot of travelling. It was six countries in you know twenty six days in that US tour, and not just the US tour, but you know, Ireland and Norway and whatnot. And you do get the sense that there were moments on that tour where what Ten Hag wanted to do in terms of a preparatory way clashed with say commercial responsibilities i want to hold my powder and and not get too concerned and go oh god it's all happening again until after the international break where hopefully everyone can go away and, and can have some time on on the training pitch and on, on the uh, tactics board before anything gets bad but at the moment they they do look slower than how they used to they're, they're playing as if it's april um, do you remember that April run where United played nine games in one month? And there, was, you, there were definitely moments in that run where going, these are just these players are just good, running on fumes. And I think that was the weird bit about the second half was they were playing as if they had played thirty-five games already. Yeah, we'll definitely hope for better against Nottingham Forest this weekend, and we'll preview that match later on in the pod. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Right, let's do transfers. Lots swirling around at the moment, mainly outs for Manchester United, Laurie. Um, what do you understand to be the latest on any of the players leaving? Brandon Williams probably is the most advanced, I would say. Um... Ipswich are in talks with United over a loan with, with an option to buy um, and he wasn't in the squad against Tottenham uh, with Eric Tenard being quite open afterwards about why that was the case, uh, including Donny van der Beek, who um, I think has been definitely subject of interest from Real Sociedad and again, he's a, he's a player that you'd expect United to, you know, I, th- I think he would probably go before the end of the summer, um, certainly if they get a good deal for him and Brandon Williams the same. So yeah, Tenard said, well, I wanted players in the squad that are fully focused on Manchester United and those guys have obviously got uh, potential um, outs at the moment. So yeah, those those two are probably um, on the cards. I mean, Harry Maguire also wasn't in the squad for the Spurs game, but that was down to a small foot injury, uh, I'm told. So, But clearly that was that's another player where, you know, has been subject to a bid that was accepted from West Ham and, and, and would another club come in and, and now they know the price, would they bid that money? I think Ipswich would be really good for Brandon Williams Manchester United would have been willing to sell him for three years now. And when that was first mentioned to me, the figure was £20 million, which, as we speak now, would be an optimistic figure. He would probably burn any bridges built in Norwich when he went on loan there. But Ipswich Town under Kieran McKenna and with Martin Pert, they're two coaches who know Brandon Williams very well from their time at Manchester United. They took Ipswich to promotion last season. They've had a brilliant start to this season 
in the championship. You're playing in front of 29,000 every week. They play really good football. If Brandon Williams could go to Ipswich and be one of the best players, then suddenly his valuation would start to move towards the type of money Manchester United wanted for him three years ago. I don't think he's got a future at Manchester United. Part of me said about that. He's a Manchester lad, he's a United fan, but I don't think he's he's quite up to the standards of being a regular first teamer for Manchester United. And there's no shame in that. None of us are. We're way off it. But he's got to find his level and I think he yeah, I think he's a decent player. Yeah, we had a few questions about Alvaro Fernandez as well, who who got minutes in pre season for Manchester United. Uh Critch has got News that Granada are in talks with United over a loan move for him. Um, so have a look on the Athletic for details on that. There also seems to be movement on the goalkeeper situation as well. Uh, Crystal Palace are interested in in Dean Henderson, and if he does leave, then Manchester United David Ornstein has reported are lining up a move for Altai Bayende, who is a Fenerbahce goalkeeper. Um, do you know what the latest on this, Laurie is? I think there's been a lot of uh, intrigue around the Dean Henderson situation given Nottingham Forest were you know ready to go for him uh, once the season was over but as Andy mentioned a few weeks ago that was looking less likely because of this injury that he's had and he's not played for seven months and I think Forest were cautious about signing a player with that kind of record uh, and they you know they were looking at maybe doing a, a loan with an obligation to buy where the you know the, the trigger was a certain number of games and Forest wanted quite a few uh, United wanted uh, a lower number um, but Palace are, you know, another team that have, have shown good interest in Dean Henderson, and I think the current situation, as David Ornstein's reporting it, is that they're both having, you know, medicals ahead of time to see what comes out of that and to see whether both clubs then want to proceed with those deals. Manchester United are looking for a new goalkeeper, absolutely hundred percent about that, and United have got quite a strict budget as to what they're willing to pay for that goalkeeper because he's not going to be first choice. So. Some goalkeepers have been approached and their agents have come back and went, well, this is what he's currently on. And United have gone, OK, let's just leave that then because they're on far too much money. <laughs> so as I said a few weeks ago, United are absolutely looking at bringing a new goalkeeper in. Eric Ten Hag has been pretty clear that he always wants three senior goalkeepers in his squad. He said it's really important for training purposes. So I don't know how many five-a-side games you're playing there, but you can imagine one goalie for each team to do your Friday run-throughs and one does your, your drills with whoever else as well. But he every single time the goalies are out, he, he's very, very, very particular that they're three senior-level goalies. Yeah, always three goalkeepers in the warm-up as well for Manchester United mm. uh, in preparation for games uh, before matches. In terms of uh, Ornstein's report on Bayern Deer, um, he says that he's got a back problem, actually, which sounds familiar, doesn't it? Um, so they're looking at that in the in the medicals. It would be a fee around €5 million. Euros. Um, so it's definitely a backup option, obviously, with United getting Onana earlier on in the window. You mentioned Nottingham Forest for Dean Henderson, Laurie. It is the Dean Henderson derby next at Old Trafford. And the big question is, have Forest fans listened to Talk of the Devils and heard Andy Mitten bouncing up and down in his yellow jumper singing the Anthony Alanga song? Never mind that. Manchester City fans copied that song. I know, but we don't I we know. don't want to talk weird, about that because we know what it's City, about, don't City we? City copied the Fleetwood <laughs> Mac song from Little Non-League Trafford and the Alanga song from Manchester United. Whoa, they, they copied the Fleetwood Mac thing from Trafford? Little Trafford, non-league team in Manchester. Really? Really. And Ilanga, Ilanga came from us. Ilanga wasn't being sung at all before um, before we started that. He's looked quite good on Ilanga for Forest. 
I know he's only been sort of the used assist in, against Arsenal yeah, was brilliant, wasn't but he, it? He keeps coming on and kind of causing, you know, against tiring defences. You can see how Forest are going to use him this season. Yeah, that, that's one piece of business actually, which it feels like everyone's satisfied with because he needed to go and get minutes. I know, I, I do agree, but you, then you look at like what Villa have got for Cameron Archer and, and Aaron Ramsey, and obviously. Oh, you don't what, think the fee's high enough? Well, I just it's it's a fair, I think it's a it's a fair enough fee because United have been bad at selling players, and this is this kind of goes <laughs> into what Andy was talking about with Brandon Williams and how alone with a you know an option, you know, let's see what that is. Um, you know, you've got Noah Memorand going to Groningen for, for less than five hundred thousand pounds, which is again fine. He didn't really do anything in the first team, but you can see why Tanag was using him in pre-season there, and he obviously scored against Leeds. You know, just get him in the shot window a little bit, really. Um, which you know a classic Fergie trait. You know, I mean Pep Guardiola does it for City. You know, get them in the League Cup, and you know as soon as they play for City, you know the the price obviously rockets. As we've seen with James Trafford, I don't even know if he played for City. I don't think he did. But, he didn't. Um, no. Yeah. So nineteen talking, million. Nineteen million. So more than <laughs> Alanga, and Alanga had scored in the Champions League last sixteen tie. You know, so I'm sort of thinking that, that that's all I'm sort of saying in that regard. That Fair enough. It, it, but it, I accept that it's difficult when you're a team that isn't winning all the time and you've got that kind of reflective glow of a, of a genius coach in, in Pep Guardiola, although you'd hope that that would come in time with Eric Ten Hag. I guess like United used to have, the fringe players felt better because they weren't getting in the team because yeah. the first team was absolutely brilliant. So there's there's maybe, then, yeah, I think you've talked about it. On the one one the but then Aston well, Villa, maybe. you know. But mind you, Cameron Archer had a brilliant season on loan at Middlesbrough in the Championship last season. So it's it's maybe if Alanga had gone and done that for Middlesbrough last year, then perhaps you could you could talk about the fee being higher. It's also wages. You know, we, we just talked about Brandon Williams. Brandon Williams's wage packet at Manchester United effectively prices him out of any deal for half the Premier League. Any team that is interested in, in Brandon Williams would probably scoff at how much they'd have to pay in wages to make the deal work, and then we'll probably go to United. In order to afford these wages, could you maybe knock off five million from the price? United fringe players are hard to sell because one, United haven't won too much prior to Ten Hag turning up, and two, a number of those fringe players are on those very fun Woodward-esque. How many years with an extra additional year after an extension deal that are all quite expensive? So that'll take time. I think Alanga for that price point, considering where he is in the hierarchy now, was a decent price point. I think Fernandez. Alvaro Fernandez, just before anyone panics. Yes, sorry. I think Laurie and I were talking about Alvaro Fernandez previously in that he, during preseason, he looked better than Brandon Williams, especially when inverting. But he's in this very tricky situation where he is at best third choice left back. Luke Shaw's going nowhere. He's on a new you know, long term contract. Terrell Malassia is Ten Hag. You know, Ten Hag bought him, so he will be second choice and he seems to be Rashford's best mate. I don't know how much credit you get in the bank for that. So Fernandez is in a position where he's either got to wait for a League Cup run where he can get you know thirty minutes of incredible football to jump ahead of Malassia in the queue, or he's got to move if he wants to get some game time. So it, this is the sort of weird bit of squad building that Ten Hag needs to properly get a handle of. You, you need two good players in every position, and your third player you've got to find a way to put them in the shop window so they can be worth fifteen million a pop to help you with FFP. Okay, the other aspect that we need to preview for the Nottingham Forest game is the planned protest by the 1958 group. Andy, I know you've written about it on The Athletic. By the time this pod reaches people's ears, that article will reach their eyes. Um, What do you think about what the plan is 
for the weekend and can you detail any of the any of the plans that you know of at this point yeah i spoke to the lads from the 1958 group about their planned protest against forest which is a sitting after the final whistle i think it's for for one hour so i've not seen that before this is a different type of, of protest i think some of their protests have been very effective in terms of thousands of people walking to the ground visually it, it, they've looked really strong uh, they've been picked up by by the media. Uh, when it comes to actual protests inside Old Trafford, I think it's been very, very hit and miss, usually miss, actually, because I think a lot of people um, don't want to miss the football. And when they've had protests where people are supposed to arrive late, even if hundreds or thousands of people turn up late, it doesn't really look any different inside Old Trafford you could you, there's been games where you really had to look for okay there's there's a block of seats with not so many people in it I remember a walkout protest I think most fans are just not prepared to walk out in the middle of the match so this is slightly different because you wouldn't be missing any football I think this is what I call an angry week among fans we've had uh, the Greenwood stuff we talked about a poor start to the season more intransigence about the the Glazer ownership and people don't know what's going to happen there. People are angry. And protests are at the most effective when, when people are angry. I think, first and foremost, this is a protest against the Glazers. Legitimate protests are absolutely allowed in a, a free and democratic society. Manchester United have already always recognised that as long as the protests are, are peaceful. And it will be interesting to see what happens after the game against Forest and how many people sit in. Uh, I don't know any Manchester United fans who want the Glazers to stay. And I just think just a continuation of that message from, from those extremely frustrated fans. You mentioned it's been an angry week. It's also been a week where the Chief Executive Richard Arnold's position has been questioned as well, Andy. What... what... What role does that play in these protests and the way that Manchester United fans are feeling at the moment? I think it should be questioned because Manchester United haven't dealt with the Mason Greenwood thing in an effective manner. And Richard Arnold is the chief executive, is the leading executive. I think United should have um, taken outside advice. It's easy for me to say that with the benefit of hindsight. I hope Manchester United can learn from the way that they did the Mason Greenwood um, investigation and, and it's been widely criticised and I can understand that. I do not agree that Richard Arnold should should leave his job. I think he's actually done a good job in difficult circumstances working under the Glazers. I think he's pushed Manchester United back towards the fans. I think football is now run by football people. I think fans will always despise and criticise the leading executives. That will never change. I've done United We Stand since 1989. There's never, ever changed. I can name them all. But I, in my opinion, and it might not be a popular one, I don't think Richard Arnold should be losing his, his job over this. And people on the pod might have a different opinion to that. But I've, got, I've seen enough where I think he's doing a good job in very difficult circumstances because I don't think it's easy working for the Glazers. I think more fire should be aimed on the Glazers because they're the people who are ultimately 
in charge. Okay, let's finish on the football then. Um, Laurie, what do you want to see against Nottingham Forest that might make us feel a little bit more positive going to the Emirates Stadium to play Arsenal the following weekend? Because that fixture is beginning to loom large, isn't it? Yes, yes, it is looming very large. Um, And it was such a pivotal one last season, wasn't it? Um, When, you know, United had to start Valt Vegost up top. So it would be very nice if they could start a different striker up top for that game. It may be too soon. I'd reported... um, Anthony Martial. (laughs) Well, he he played, didn't he, in midweek against Burnley. So, um, (laughs) yeah, there's a closed doors game at Carrington that United lost 3-0 on Wednesday. Um, it was a very scratch team, but Marshall played, McTominay played, um, Alvaro Fernandez played, um, Palistri played. So you had a few sort of first teamers all around the fringes, and it's it's part of Tenag trying to keep those players that aren't getting regular minutes, um, keeping them match fit. But um, Hoyland didn't play in this in this behind the scenes uh, game against Burnley. There's a there are some rumours that he might be fit enough for the bench against Forest. Um, I, I've not had any kind of solid info on that, but there's been a couple of people that have suggested, oh, he, you know, he might be ready for the bench. But I would have thought that he, I mean, maybe it would be too much for Tenag to put him in a, 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 a sort of friendly game at Carrington against Burnley. But I would have thought he'd maybe play in that if he was going to be on the bench against Forest. But um, at least a few minutes, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I suppose listen, if if he thinks if he's been training, and he's comfortable with him being able to come off the bench and do something, then then maybe that's fine. But yeah, so so that would be nice if Hoyland's available because I think that's what United have really missed, as Carl touched on. Um, you know, the fact that you've got Marcus Rashford as, as centre forward. I, I don't know. That's personally, I don't think that's his best position. You know, off the left is where he's does his best work, and then that would. You know, take the pressure off Garnacho, maybe Sancho. Be interesting to see if he comes into the team. Cause I think he's looked quite bright when he's come on. He's been really unlucky not to start, hasn't he, in either of these games? We had more minutes than anyone in pre-season. And actually, I think we were talking about him being one of the positives, Laurie, weren't we? You know, from the US yeah, Tour in Yeah, particular. it's interesting. I don't know if there's something else going on, if that's why, you know, Tenag's not starting him. But um, yeah, I wonder if this is the, the match where he, he feels like, OK, I'm going to give you a go. Um, and also, I'd, I'd like to say Andre Onana again. I thought he was one of the bright spots against Spurs. I know that he, the only one. Yeah, I know that he kind of nearly gave away a penalty um, to, uh, to to Wolves in the you know in the whatever minute really? whatever minute it was. Should, Did anyone mention that? Needs to have been mentioned a yeah, bit more. No. Of that I think, well, actually, yeah. we, we haven't even reflected on United's you know penalty claim at Spurs, and, and this is they think that because the Onana thing was given so much airtime by Sky, that then impacted what the officials did at, at Tottenham Hotspur. I, I'm not going down that route. I think that's too uh, <laughs> too difficult an argument to make, but you could clearly see it from Tenag, from Bruno Fernandes after the game in particular. You know, they're they're really stewing about this kind of stuff. So um it's did Fernandez mentioned his on. header in that interview. Well exactly. I think he did accept that he should have scored there. So if he'd have scored there, okay. we wouldn't have been talking about the penalty, would we? Um but I would like to say Onana, I mean I just thought he was brilliant. The press box at Spurs you can really get a sense of the action because it's and, and I've I have to say, the Tottenham Stadium was better than any in America. I know I've been there before, but again, it just reminded me, seeing it in contrast, um, you've got the press box, and I'm being you know, uh, it's self-indulgent really, but the press box being where it is at Spurs, you're in, you're, in the, you're in the crowd, you can really hear that atmosphere. Andy's right, it was a really good atmosphere. You can see stuff happening. You're not up in the gods like you are in, in America a lot of the time behind glass. Um, and, and you could see Onana, particularly in that first half where he came out to kind of stop the uh, counter-attack from a United corner, taking it past the Spurs player and then pinging that ball out to Garnacho. Um, just stuff like that makes you confident that, OK, you've got a, a serious goalkeeper here who again spoke to media after the game, I think that's twice in a row where he's come out and sort of fronted up almost and, and, and spoke. So 
I think that's an encouraging sign, the kind of personality that he's got. And I tell you what, it was interesting just on the Onana thing. Sorry, I know I'm going on here. You've, you've asked me, you know, one question and it's turned into a five-minute answer. But um, <laughs> it's not unusual, mate. As long as you're having fun, I'm having fun. As long Hopefully, as the fun. listeners are having fun. Um, I'm having fun. Okay, great. The uh, I went to Stockport County uh, on Tuesday night for uh, the, the Papa John's Trophy, and Eli Harrison, the 17-year-old goalkeeper that United have got who apparently is also quite confident and certainly with his feet, um, he was impressive, I thought. He, he sort of jinked past a county player as he pressed him once and, I mean, he did actually concede a penalty in the same way that Onana very, very much could have done um, in the 110th minute of, uh, of you know, extra time, you know, this, this extended uh, added time that we get now. So then, yeah, county scored and then it went to penalties, but United won and I was actually, it felt like a good experience for them. You know, they, there's an away crowd there singing and chanting they ran over afterwards and got in the mix there. And and just one final word on, on Dan Gore, who was the captain for the night. So he's obviously a, a kid that United have, have got to know a little bit, won the FA Youth Cup um, and was on tour with United, played a little bit of, of uh, minutes under Ten Hag. He's he's a tough character. I mean, he got sent off, didn't he, against Wrexham, which I thought was very unlucky. But um, in this game, he was the one getting absolutely hacked to bits because um, he's a really skillful player. But he kept getting up. He's, you know, he's only small, but he, he can definitely, you know, uh, stand his own ground. And County got a, a player sent off because they they basically fouled him too many times. So it was a couple of bookings. So yeah, Dan Gore, <laughs> I like the look of him. Did you like Edgley Park? Stockport. Yeah. So the last time I was at Edgley Park, I think it was for like a Lancashire Cup game where United played against County and Alan Smith was playing for United. But then the time before that, I hope I've not told this on a podcast before, because um, obviously it's it's you no know, not my, my sister lives around the corner in Edgley. And um, so it's sort of close to us. And uh, and yeah, the, the time before that was when Carlton Palmer was player manager and they got the tickets free with a Big Mac meal from McDonald's. Um, so they, they were playing Norwich and Carlton Palmer scored and he won 2-1. So that was, I think, I think they're the last three times I've been. Um, quite spaced out, obviously. But no, I like, I like County. It's a proper ground. I mean, you talk about Old Trafford having small seats. Wow, you know, we were like, my, my, my dad's knees were cramping up because it was so tight, like sat in amongst everybody. I mean, he was obviously supporting United and he was like getting right into it. Like, uh, I was telling him about Willy Camboile and how we'd signed him from uh, a French team for like four million euros, I think it was. And straight away he's like, oh yeah, I can see why. Oh yeah, good, yeah, money well spent there. And I was like, dad, he's touched the ball twice. <laughs> uh, but he was properly getting into it. And I was like, dad, I think you might need to just chill out because we are surrounded by county fans here. <laughs> yeah, I'm very fond of Stockport County. My uncle was a huge Stockport fan, he used to go to all the matches, was part of the Supporters Trust a, a few years ago as well. Uh, he had a little page actually in the programme when he, he passed away uh, last year as well. So um, very, very fond of Stockport County. It's a good club. They're doing well. I love the brickwork on the front of the main stand. And yeah, it's amazing. It's beautiful. And it, they, I'm pleased that they're, they're doing well. They're, they're selling out most weeks now, getting nine or 10,000. They obviously had, had the promotion. And one of my little brothers was a young professional at Stockport County a decade ago until he did his, did his cruise shirt. And, and they looked after him. And they had, they've got, they had a really good fanzine as well. So, yeah, I hope. Um, I know it's in, in a inner city hotbed, Stockport, but I'm pleased that they're doing all right. Yeah, it's very blue, isn't it, in that in that regard. Uh, Carl, last word for you then. What are you hoping to see against Nottingham Forest from Manchester United that's going to make us all be smiling when we record the next podcast? Christian Eriksen, Casemiro? You know, yeah. what, you so, really don't look oh, sure. <laughs> when the news that Mount got injured happened, I, I was like, oh God, who are they going to play? And I, went, I haven't seen Scott McTominay play next to Casemiro before. I went, and I had a proper look at all the players who play next to Casemiro. 
and sort of list them all. Oh, you Casemiro used to play next to Fred, and sometimes he played next to Fernandez, and was going through it. And then one United fan went, "You do know we've got Christian Eriksen in the back. That 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 was the partnership last season." I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, it could work actually." Did you just forget that that was the main partnership? <laughs> I just, I just completely forgot Eriksen and Casemiro. Yeah, it feels like a long time ago, doesn't it? When oh, they were dictating in the midfield, it does. It actually, does, the, the it Forest does. game um, at Arsenal. I think showed probably what their approach will be. They sat very, very deep. It's going to be a challenge for United to unpick them. And if they look vulnerable on the counter against Wolves and Tottenham at times, then they're going to have to guard against that again, aren't they, Carl? That's going to... So maybe Christian Eriksen actually playing in there, getting on the ball a bit more, controlling <laughs> yeah. the match a little bit more, along with Bruno, along with Casemiro. Perhaps, perhaps that is the choice that Ten Hag will make. Eriksen for the first hour. McTominay in the final half hour to give some power, as Ten Hag likes to say. I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in this game. I think Nottingham Forest now have, I couldn't tell you how many players they've got in that first team squad, but they've got two or three pieces that I'm always keeping an eye on, just in case. You like Morgan Gibbs-White, don't you, Carl? I like Gibbs-White. Yeah. I think Brennan's quite good. Uh, I've Two or three times I've done the, here's some strikers Ten Hag should be looking at. I've, I've brought up table on one year as well. He's on a, he's on a hot run, isn't he? Six games in a row he's scored in the Premier League. He is, he is. So, yeah, I, I like this Forest team. I, I know Andy love, likes the city ground, so he'll probably bring the city ground up next because we're talking about Forest. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think just seeing more of, of Casemiro Eriksen will excite me. And also at this point in time, like Andre Onana's the vice captain to Manchester United. I know he hasn't; it's not been confirmed, but in my mind. He is my vice captain. So Right, okay, we'll leave it there then. Andy, Laurie, Carl, thank you so much for being with us on Talk of the Devils. As always, remember our live shows, Dublin, sold out, London, sold out, Belfast, going the same way. Go to Ticketmaster for the details on that one. And Manchester, there's still a handful of tickets left for New Century on Monday, the 4th of September as well. We'll post some links on social media if you want to come and join us. We'd love to see you there. Thank you for listening as always. And we'll see you on the next one. Let's hope Manchester United put in a performance, eh? See you then. Cheers. The Athletic.